this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast in this episode we are going deep into the present past and future of the india china border on september 13th india and china disengaged from a fifth friction point in eastern ladakh along the lac Both sides have now set up buffer zones to help keep the peace in several points along the LAC. However, with unprecedented violence in the June 15, 2020 Galwan clash, the systems used to keep the peace for so many years now lie in tatters. Where do we go from here? To discuss the state of the border, we are joined today by Manoj Joshi, distinguished fellow at the Observer Research Foundation, who has written about the India-China relationship and the border for decades. We are also going to discuss Joshi's new book Understanding the India China Border published recently in India by Harper Collins. Thank you so much Manoj for joining us today. Thanks Ant. Uh Manoj your book uh, I really learned a lot from it it covers a vast sweep of the history and the present and the future but I wanted to begin this conversation uh with more recent events. As you know both sides recently disengaged uh from a fifth friction point uh the situation seems to be kind of a no war no peace situation uh how have you made this entire slow moving process and where do you think things stand now is it closer to a full disengagement or is there a long way to go as you see it you see i think if you look at the trajectory of what has been happening since 2020 i suspect at some point there could be full disengagement that of course is kind of uh, presupposed on the fact that the chinese will also be willing to lift the blockade in the depsang area in my view the depsang is perhaps the most important of all the areas and as you know in terms of its extent it's about over 900 uh, square kilometers and it kind of juts out meaning the indian claim if i am put it that way uh, juts into the chinese held aksai chin uh, area and i think the chinese want to iron out you know that what is that what is called the depsang bulge so uh, if they are willing to give that up uh, then we go back status quo ante uh, but if they are not willing to go uh, give that up and that said i must point out that the government of india has been very very economical about making any statement in relation to depsang so i'm not sure whether uh, the government is um, uh, whether or not the government is ready for a deal uh with depsang that it will be as is where is meaning the chinese don't pull out because the as i have no, uh, cited in my in my book uh, the army commander at that time claimed that this was a legacy area meaning this is this has been going on since the past so minus depsang all the other areas are fairly minor and uh, i think and i also think that this business of calling them friction points is kind of uh, you know is a euphemism the fact of the matter is these are blockades blockades and uh, manoj as you point out as well uh, so right now we've had uh, disengagement in five friction points uh, galwan valley um, in pangong so uh, and in petroleum points 15 and 17a demchok and depsang are still pending uh, you did mention uh, status quo ante but uh, since it is more a question of buffer zones where both sides cannot patrol Uh, is it really a restoration of the situation as it was or is this a completely different uh, situation that one can't call 
of the status quo ante, given that there is a denial of patrolling rights in these buffer zones? No, you're 100% right on that. There's a new situation. So in eastern Ladakh, now, you know, the interesting thing is that the same thing is not happening in the eastern sector. In um, eastern in Ladakh, what we are seeing is the creation of a new, because the old confidence building measures system was completely shattered by the January, uh, by the 2020 uh, incidents. And so there's no trust out there, you know, that the old injunctions not to use weapons, et cetera, et cetera, all of them have gone by the wayside. The Indians have now authorized their forces to use the guns in their self-defense. So what I'm trying to say is there's a completely different situation there. And what has happened is that you may get a lifting of the blockade, but the new patrol zones, the no patrol zones are uh, such uh, that many people have said that they are really more often than not at the cost of India, in the sense they lie more on the Indian side than on the uh, Chinese side. But you know that, again, uh, is a matter of some kilometers uh, here and there. Uh, but with the no patrol zones uh, there, you have a kind of a tentative uh, new method of maintaining peace and tranquility on the line of actual control. But the point eventually boils down to intentions. If you intend to create problems, then whether it's a no patrol zone or not a, a, no, a no patrol zone, uh, that won't make much of a difference. I do agree with you, Manoj, in your book where you say that the idea of a no patrol zone isn't the worst thing uh, if it means you keep uh, peace, even though uh, it has been criticized, uh, if, if ultimately it helps keep the peace. But of course, the problem is Manoj, this arrangement didn't really arise out of both sides sitting down and discussing, saying, let's come up with a new way to manage the border. Is it fair to say that India has been forced to accept literally with a gun to its head this new arrangement because of everything that happened in 2020? Well, yes, meaning that if India wanted status quo ante, so what the Chinese have come up and said is that, okay, status quo ante is fine, but no, no one patrols in that particular area. And this is a very peculiar variation of the very early proposal by Zhaun Lai, which was for a withdrawal of both sides, 20 kilometers on either side of the uh, of their line of actual control. The problem was that that line of actual control itself was a bit nebulous in the sense its origin and its extent. You did mention the line of actual control, Manoj, just to give our listeners an idea. Explain to us how India and China have, have approached the idea of a line of actual control uh, since their first agreement in 1993, and how things seem to have changed with China now talking about a 1959 line of actual control as something uh, that that uh, they insist that India follows. Is this a significant change? Can you explain this change to us? Yes, meaning this is a significant change. You know, till 1993, we didn't accept the concept of line of actual control. The Indians said there is no line of actual control. There is a border which you have violated and you have occupied our territory, you see. And uh, as far as the Chinese are concerned, they kept on mentioning this line of actual control, but they have never, ever provided any kind of detail around it, meaning no maps have been provided uh, to say, well, this is what we think is the line of actual control. In As part, as part of the 1993 agreement, in 2002, we tried to exchange maps of this sector, the Western sector. Said, okay, you tell us what you think is the line of actual control and we will say what we think is the line of actual control. But apparently that process broke down within you know, half an hour. 
uh, when the Chinese uh, claimed that the Indians were making fantastic claims and uh, they took back their map and we took back our maps. And so today we have a notional line, meaning which marks the border. This is a notional line. The problem with the notional line is it's in an area where there is no habitation. There are no people there, the high inhospitable area. And so whether it crosses that river or goes over that escarpment or down to the valley floor and above, where it goes, no one really knows. It's your own claim. Meaning it says that I say this is the line of actual control. So there are what both armies do accept that by and large, they know where the line of actual control is. But there are some 18 to 20 points along the line of actual control where both sides have overlapping claims. To put it in short, like if we are sitting in the middle of a room, the Chinese say that the line of actual control is in the far end of the room. Okay, And I say that the line of actual control is at the other end of the room, my end of the room. Okay, And uh, so what happens is that both of us patrol that area in between, from between the far end of the room and the near end of the room, we patrol that area. And we have been patrolling the area. And what 2020 really did was to blockade Indian forces from patrolling their claimed area in several of these points. So as I said, by and large, the uh, line of actual control is accepted. But then there are these points. But the problem with these points is that they keep on increasing. You know, there is the Chinese side, to, in my opinion, keep on shifting the goalposts. You know, that's some, uh, some new areas. For example, Galwan. Now, Galwan was clearly the Chinese in 1960 had given us the uh, longitude and latitude of where the their claimed border crossed the river. Now, suddenly in 2020, the Chinese claimed the entire valley, right down to where it enters the Shiok. So this was a new claim. This was an entirely new claim uh, because, as I said, they, they, we have it in black and white. The, they have given a latitude, longitude of where they say that the, their line crosses the Galwan River. And it's, it's at least eight to nine kilometers away uh, from the confluence of the Galwan and the Shiok River. You it's an interesting analogy that you mentioned, Manoj, in terms of imagining a room where both sides were kind of recognizing the right of the other to be there. Uh, one of the revelations in your book is sometimes we imagine they're tussling over just a few kilometers here and there. Uh, but you mentioned that it's a huge amount of uh, area that India has lost access to patrol the last two years, uh, which could be even as close to 2,000 square kilometers. Uh, so can you give us a sense of the, the exact area we're talking about and, and the consequences of this new arrangement where we won't be accessing some of the patrolling points that we've been going to for so many years? Well, uh, you see, we know the the, the points and better known points like Pangong, the Kailash Range, the tricky ones, and the Charding Nala, it's a very small particular area that's near Demchok. The um, problem area is the, what's called the Kograng River Valley. You know, so it is all uh, in, in the Indian um, uh, media, you often see things like Gogra Hot Springs. But it's not Gogra Hot Springs. It's an extent of an area from almost Konkala Pass all the way to PP15, which is up the Kugrang River Valley. And uh, so maybe 80, 90, 100 kilometers uh, in length, you see. So there, that PP15 was there. But now some reports suggest that India has conceded you know, that it will not patrol an area which may be about 20, 30 kilometers long along that um, river valley. 
So that is the Kograng River Valley. And then, and again, in the Kograng River Valley, the LAC was clear. This, as per that same 1960 point that I made to you earlier, the Chinese had uh, very clearly said that the border lies between the watershed of the Changlung Nala and the Kograng River Valley, meaning this is in their words. Okay. But now they seem to be coming south of the Changlung Nala, uh, south uh, towards the Kograng River itself, not the watershed. And then, of course, the most important area in the north, that is the Depsang uh, area, uh, that is about, as I said, 900 square kilometers. It's like a bulge that bulges into the area that China, China already controls in the, in the Oxygen area. Uh, I think what the Chinese worry about, they think, you know, because as you know, this many of these things were also uh, linked to the Indian road, which was constructed. You know, all the way up to Polat Begoldi, uh, which was inaugurated in 2020. So, the I think there is one aspect of the Chinese thinking that maybe India Indians will get the military capacity to interdict their G219 highway. So, you know, this kind of a typical military thinking you think uh, in advance as to what the adversary could do, and of course that is a very strategic area because that is also near Karakoram Pass, which is the underbelly of uh, Xinjiang. So in that area, the Chinese have been very uh, insistent that the border, that the, 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 that Depsang area belongs to them. And there is an ele element of, there's an element of history there because, you know, that was the area which the Chinese also occupied during the 1962 war. And they occupied it, but later on when things calmed down and then people, both armies relatively they pulled back from some of those areas. And the Indians started patrolling in the Depsang Bulge area. Now the Chinese feel that they, uh, since they had captured it in '62, it belongs to them. But you know, by their own words, the line of actual control on, uh, or the their claim line ought to be uh, the one that they had defined in 1959, in September 1959. So the, the, there is a lot of confusion and incongruity in the positions that they have taken. The constant shifting of goalposts uh, that has been taking place in that area. And again, as I said, because it's inhospitable, there's no one there. Large, many parts were uncharted uh, for a long time. The, so so, so uh, there is that chaos and confusion. But as I said, till recently, both sides patrolled it. We patrolled it regularly. In fact, the Indian, Indian patrols went there in 2019, 20, early 2020. And it's only in March or so, March, April or so, that they were blockaded. Of course, there's a lot of details remain hazy about these points. And the main reason for that, uh, which you also point out in your book, Manoj, is, is that the Indian government has really been reticent and not sharing information. The only thing we know, uh, Manoj, is it seems that at some point in the end of 2019, perhaps that the Chinese side decided kind of unilaterally to change the way both sides were mutually uh, managing the border in these gray zones. Uh, do you, what's your best sort of uh, guess uh, or, or or theory that you have, uh, given that it's a bit of a mystery why they decided to do that? Uh, there's an interesting point you make in your book, uh, which which you just mentioned just now in terms of a congruence between areas that China had come into in 1962 and withdrew and areas where they made ingresses now ostensibly to object uh, to India's presence east of its claim line. What's your best theory into what changed 
China's decision-making sometime in 2019. You also, of course, mentioned the moves that India had made uh, in terms of Jammu and Kashmir statehood and creating Ladakh Union territory. Do you think it was a combination of factors? So what's your best guess? Well, I can only think uh, it's a combination of factors because, Anand, just look at it. Meaning 2019, end of 2019, we had the Chennai summit and preceded in 2018 by the Wuhan summit, the informal summit. That whole process made it appear that Indian and Chinese thinking on a range of areas were getting greater congruence. There was greater congruence. They were talking to each other. They had informal summits where many things were discussed, presumably threadbare. So therefore, there is, um, when you are mystified, so am I, meaning everyone is mystified by, by this. So we can only say it's a combination of, uh, of factors. And uh, I think the combination of factors include this military aspects which relate to the construction of the DSDBO highway. Uh, it relates to India's relationship, growing relationship with the United States. It relates to border management as such, you know, the how the border is being managed. And it relates to China's desire to send a clear message to India uh, that it does not view India you know, I shouldn't say a message, but the point is that uh, a desire to destabilize India's strategic thinking in the sense that by this, uh, don't forget that by this action in 2020, what has happened is that India has been forced to focus once again along the Himalayan border, right from one end to the other end. Now, the Chinese had been building up in Tibet after the Doklam incident. There's already been, had be, already been a major buildup affected right across the line of actual control. And then after 2020, India has also undertaken that buildup. But when you do that buildup, what it means is that there's correspondingly so much fewer resources available for any kind of a maritime buildup that India wanted to do. So uh, India had this ambition that it would play some kind of a role in the Indo-Pacific or in the Indian Ocean. So that correspondingly re reduced because it had got renewed commitments on the mountain border. External Affairs Minister Jay Shankar has said this many times that we, that we have asked the Chinese as to their explanation and they seem to be none. So, so, so it is, um, we are really whistling in the dark here as to understanding uh, just why the Chinese did uh, what they did. Finally, Manoj, in terms of looking forward, uh, you mentioned a, a really valid point in your book that uh, beyond the dynamics uh, of infrastructure, of patrolling, uh, of managing the border, there's also a larger, uh, what you call an asymmetry. Uh, and you mentioned that perhaps one of the root causes is that to some degree, perhaps Beijing in the last decade, especially in the Xi Jinping era, has stopped viewing India as an equal. And, and in that sense, it no longer views agreements that it signed with India at a time when the asymmetry was uh, much smaller. Uh, that it perhaps it wants to reinterpret those agreements. Uh, so you you mentioned that there's a urgent need now for for both of them, given that the past understandings are perhaps in tatters. They need to come out with a new arrangement. Uh, what's the challenge of coming uh, to an arrangement when a trust is a, is at an all time low or non existent, and b uh, as you said, you have these very deep Chinese notions of of India and China not being equal. So can you speak a little bit about? What kind of arrangement do you think both sides should work towards to at least manage the boundary uh, in a peaceful way? 
You know, Anand, that's a very difficult question uh, to answer for the simple reason because we had, after all, since 1993, uh, very, very painfully constructed a method of peace and tranquility which had been reinforced by successive agreements. Successive agreements in 1996, military CBM, the 2005 agree- political parameters uh, agreement, the, the 2012 border defense cooperation um, agreement that had been constructed. So what really is the major casualty of 2020 has been trust. See, because if you if you lack mutual trust, you can have any agreement in the world. Okay. And it's not going to help. And as I explained to you that the line of actual control is so ambiguous, that is very easy to stir up trouble there. You can go in uh, three kilometers and you have a crisis. So what matters is intention. What do, what do you really want? Now, that is uh, a problem because the point is that I think many people have said that the Chinese may want stability in the area, but they don't seem to want to resolve the uh, border issue. And if you look at the special representatives process and if you talk to uh, um, Shankar Menon or any of the, of the, uh, the special representatives, They'll tell you that most of the legwork for that agreement is there for a border settlement, is there, has been taken, has taken place. The key issue is political. There has to be somewhere, and I think it's not in, in Indian hands, it's in Chinese hands. The Chinese have to take a, a political decision whether or not they want a settled border. My feeling is right now they don't want it because it's very convenient to have an unsettled border because you can periodically have these crises, keep India off balance in South Asia, and, and which serves the larger goal of Chinese policy of being the dominant regional power. Because you know, if China has to be a world power of any consequence, it should also be a, the dominant regional power. And the problem with that is that to its uh, east, in the Pacific Ocean, it confronts the United States, United States, Japan, Taiwan, uh, and that, and when it looks this way, it there is India, so it's probably much easier to deal with India, you know, in terms of establishing your regional hegemony, than to deal with the United States in the in the Western Pacific. So I think there are all kinds of calculations out there, but certainly uh, the Chinese don't seem to seem to be inclined uh, to settle the border issue. And here, of course, I must add a caveat that at least. Um, in 1960, then in 1980, 81, 82, the Chinese did offer a swap. They said, let's swap our claims. Uh, the uh, Indian side, for reasons best known to themselves, rejected uh, those uh, that offer. And now the, the, the pendulum has swung the other way. Uh, I suspect, and I'm, I'm only saying I suspect because there are no Indian statements to the effect, I suspect India would be willing to have an as-is-where-is settlement um, but China is clearly not willing to have that. But minus that, given the ambiguity of the LAC, it's impossible to have any kind of a, a system uh, which is minus the issue of trust. Meaning minus trust, nothing can go ahead. Well, trust really does seem to be at an all-time low between India and China. Uh, Manoj Joshi, the author of the new book, Understanding the India-China Border. Thank you so much for joining us today and helping us make sense of the recent developments on the India-China border, including the latest disengagement in September, as well as where we go from here. I'm sure it's something we'll keep coming back to. Thanks so much, Manoj, for joining the Hindus podcast today. Thanks, Anand. 
In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.